beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to this episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. Book lovers, you are in for a treat because we have two reading related episodes happening over the next couple of weeks on the show and not about my book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First which is now available everywhere. If you like this podcast, you'll love my book. Please go purchase it. But no, we are now going to talk about books that are not my book. Today, we're taking an especially wide swing because we're going to be talking about fiction, about novels, about made-up stories, because my guest is one of my very favorite people to follow on Instagram, Sarah Hildreth from Fiction Matters. That's her Instagram handle, at Fiction Matters. And you will definitely want to follow her if you don't already, because Sarah is thoughtful in her takes. She reads and shares great stuff. And I am so excited to share with you our conversation today about why fiction matters in general and what fiction books have mattered specifically to us. Sarah and I each share five reasons that fiction matters to us and to the world. And this conversation in particular, it gave me a jump start actually in my reading life, which has seriously suffered in the last few months more than any time in years. 
So if you are in a reading rut, or you just like to talk about reading, or you just need a little reading inspiration, you are in the right place today. If you want to know more about my guest, Sarah Hildreth, she has a podcast called Novel Pairings. She has an awesome newsletter called the Fiction Matters Newsletter. I've been a subscriber for a while now. I will link to all of these things. And also at the beginning of our conversation, Sarah shares a little bit more about herself and the origins of Fiction Matters. I also want to mention that I created a freebie about 10 books that shaped my worldview. Now, they are not all fiction. There are some nonfiction reads on my personal list. But because Sarah and I talk so much about how reading changes the world and changes our souls, and yes, changes our worldview, I wanted to make sure that you knew about my freebie, 10 Books That Shaped My Worldview. You can get that by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash freebies. And now to my conversation with Sarah Hildreth of Fiction Matters about, you guessed it, why fiction matters. Sarah, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. I am so excited to have you on the show to talk with me about fiction and why it matters. I am so excited to be here. We've DM'd about books for a while, but actually getting to talk to you about books is like a dream come true. I absolutely love following you. I found you on Instagram. I don't even know when. It's funny because I actually do not follow a ton of bookstagrammers. Maybe you don't want that title. Oh, that's fine. (laughs) I embrace it. (laughs) I don't follow a ton of people who post mostly book content on Instagram or on social media because it really does influence me. And over the years, I've realized like I end up reading things that are just not to my taste and, and feel like I've wasted time on them because they were the big thing on Instagram or you know, I just get sort of frustrated a little bit with Bookstagram, which I have talked about on the show before. But when I found you, I've stayed following you. I love following you and sort of your tone and what you post and the kind of things you post. So thank you for that. You're in like definitely my top, top people to follow when it comes to books. Oh, thank you so much. I get swayed by Bookstagram as well. So it means a lot to me (laughs) that my recommendations have worked for you. They really have. It's a it's a complicated thing because I'm so grateful for people who talk about books and encourage reading and post their reviews and like theoretically, like philosophically, I'm all for that. <laughs> I love like reading communities and I want people to read more. And so of course I love people who talk about reading, but just on a personal level, I do get like either swayed or frustrated or like it brings up or like competitive. I've also talked about like it brings up a lot of strange emotions in me, like to follow people who read a lot. So it's like, I'm for it yet against it. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, I think that so many of us grew up kind of reading independently, right. And, and reading was our own kind of private thing and private time. And, and it is wonderful to find a community of readers you can talk about books with, but it does filter into our reading lives sometimes in negative ways. And we kind of lose that private little bubble that was so important to us growing up as readers. Yes. And then we also, for me anyway, we all sometimes can maybe lose our own sense of taste and like what books we actually like or actually want to spend reading. Because for me, 
I want to read the buzzy book of the year or of the month. Like I want to read the thing that everyone's talking about because I enjoy those conversations. Even if I don't love the book, like I love being a part of that sort of bigger conversation. But at the same time, when you start reading all the bestsellers or just what everyone's talking about, when you do that too much, which I have found myself doing, then I end up like sort of forgetting what I actually like or how I want to spend my time or what I learn from or any of the reasons that we read until then I stumble upon, you know, something that does more align with my taste. And then I'm like, oh, right. This is what I should be reading. Or this is the person I should be taking recommendations from instead of now I've just spent, you know, months reading just bestsellers and it's unsatisfying in a way that's sometimes hard to put your finger on. Yeah, I completely agree. It It is so much rarer for me now to just stumble upon those books that are those, oh yeah, this is why I read moments and it still happens, but yeah, it, it is hard to kind of, I don't know, like you said, keep true to your own taste and not be swayed in all of the different directions that social media is taking us. Totally. Okay. Let's start. Let's back up a second, even though I could talk about bookstagram for ages, but (laughs) I want the listeners, if they're not familiar with you yet, can you just introduce yourself a little bit, sort of say what you do, what your trajectory is, how you got to be posting so much and so well about books online. I'd love to hear your whole story. Okay. So I post about books at Fiction Matters on Instagram and That Instagram handle and project came out of a graduate school project. So I did a master's in literature at Georgetown. And when I was finishing up that program, it was time for me to do my capstone project. And the Common Core standards had just been kind of released and and being pushed at at this time. And probably non-teachers aren't totally familiar with what the common core standards for reading are and it's nitty gritty and doesn't really totally matter, but there was a push to read much more nonfiction in the classroom. I think that the recommendation was by the time kids are in high school, 50% of their reading should be nonfiction, which is a huge percentage. (laughs) Yeah. I, especially for if, you know, kids that age, like if if you're not an avid reader and sometimes people aren't, then 50% is a big ask, you know, it's a big ask and, and it's a big ask for English teachers who, you know, didn't probably grow up studying nonfiction the same way. And I mean, to be fair to these standards, really what they were asking was for more subjects to do more reading. So for kids to be reading great investigative journalism in history classes or more science nonfiction aside from the textbook. That's what the standards wanted, but really kind of it got dumped on on English teachers in practice. But it did bring up this question of why do we even read fiction in school in the first place? Like what, what does fiction do? Why does it matter? So that was my grad school project was to really start researching why we specifically read fiction, why it matters, what it does to our brains, how it impacts our critical thinking and why we, I mean, 
this was totally unscientific. I started from the premise that we should be reading fiction and tried to prove that. Um, but it involved a lot of really fun interviews and that's, that's how I started Instagram. And so is Instagram your primary place where you are sharing all of this content where you're getting to have these conversations? Do you feel like, is it social media? Instagram is my biggest platform and definitely the launching point for what fiction matters is and, and hopefully is becoming. But I also have a weekly newsletter that I put out for free on Substack. And I have a Patreon where I host a monthly book club. And that is really, I think, where I get to have these conversations that I love. I love sharing my reading life on Instagram and meeting other readers there. But these kind of deeper, more nuanced conversations about what I'm learning and what other readers are learning from the books we pick up kind of happen more in that Patreon book club. Okay. I love that so much. I love that you shared all of that. And I want everyone to go check that out. There will always be links in the show notes, everyone at 10 things to tell you.com slash podcast. So you can find all of these resources that I know you're going to want to. Sarah and I are each going to share why fiction matters to us. We each have five points about why fiction matters. Listeners, you know that I'm a huge reader. I love to read across genres and, you know, a lot of different types of things that we talk about on this show. And I'm a big nonfiction reader. I actually personally do like reading nonfiction. Even when I was younger, I read um, quite a bit of nonfiction, actually, starting with true crime. Don't judge. <laughs> and so I love talking about books, but Fiction does matter to me. And I think a lot of times it's easier, at least in my own conversations online, to just talk about what I'm reading. And that's great and all. This conversation is a little bit more about like, why? It's just a little bit more general instead of these specific books, although we will talk about specific books today, but it's sort of just more of us to, to get a chance to be thinking about why we read what we do and that our choices do matter. Reading can be pure entertainment totally, but it can also be so much more than that. So Sarah, before we go back and forth and share sort of our own personal reasons for why fiction matters to us and in our reading life, I think you were going to share with us just like as a former teacher and as someone who, who thinks about this a lot, some general reasons that fiction matters that, that maybe we don't all have at top of mind, but is, you know, is definitely something that we can be thinking about as we're making our reading choices going forward. Yeah, I, I think one of the big reasons that you hear teachers talk about why, why reading fiction is important, and I, I think this is very true, is that fiction helps us cultivate empathy. It's like practicing empathy. One thing that's really cool is that this is scientifically proven. Researchers have done brain scans of people reading and the kind of empathy centers of your brain, they light up more when you read fiction than when you read nonfiction, even something like a narrative memoir. Wow. I actually did not know that. I mean, isn't that interesting? I, that is interesting. I knew that I absolutely knew that it breeds empathy. Like I just knew this in my gut. I did not know that it was actually like a science thing. Yeah. And I, I think it's in, lar in large part because we use a little bit more creativity and imagination when we read fiction. There's just something our brain goes through where we are 
really more actively putting ourselves in the character's shoes than when we read memoir, which is not to say that we shouldn't be reading real people's real stories as a way to build empathy and understanding of the world. That is really important as well. It's just our brain kind of takes those stories in really differently. And, and so I think that, you know, reading fiction, it does build empathy. I do think it can be kind of overly simplistic to say reading a book by an author with a different background kind of immediately or automatically provides us with understanding and empathy. I think sometimes that's that can be how it gets talked about in in the classroom or in building curriculum or maybe even for some readers in their personal lives when they're choosing books but I that's an important start as a white woman I know that reading books by people who have very different life experiences than me has very much shown me my own privilege decentered me same. Same. So, I'm so glad you said that. So, so, so important, especially when I have made a concerted effort to read outside of my own experience in the last several years. It definitely, it really does matter. It really matters. And, and I think it's important to note that books aren't necessarily written for that purpose, right? I don't think I know for sure that Toni Morrison wasn't writing to teach me or help me be more empathetic. But it does it does have that effect on on me as a reader in addition to a host of other <laughs> things Toni Morrison is doing. I I think that's really important to strive for in our own reading and I think that just the habit of reading both books from authors who have similar perspectives as us and books from authors whose lives are totally different from us, that habit is one of the best ways to cultivate empathy and build our understanding of the world. And, and so I think that's that's one of the reasons it's, it's really important that we teach the reading of fiction in the classroom, but it's really the reason why it's important more to cultivate a lifelong love of reading. Yeah, I completely agree. I always say to people, not that this is like a hugely original thought, but it's something that I really emphasize all the time that to broaden your perspective, to gain empathy, compassion, and just to get outside of your own experience in a way that connects us as humans, there's two things that do that best, travel and reading. Mm -hmm. Traveling the world changed my whole entire life. I mean, I did one trip to England, which was like, not, it's not even that different than America, but even that small trip when I was a young person absolutely changed my life. Of course, since then I've traveled all over the world. Not everyone can travel. That is an absolute privilege. That is a luxury. That is a thing that a, a lot of people cannot do. Everyone can read. And mm -hmm. even just a small trip to England can change a person's life. The same is true of just like reading I agree that you have to build the habit and that it's consistent reading that really opens your heart, opens your mind to other perspectives. But but even one, you don't have to be a book a week type of gal or a guy to reap the benefits. Like even if you just read a few things a year, that changes you. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, and I think I always want to push myself to be reading 
more broadly and more diversely, but like your trip to England suggests too, even, even reading a book where a character's life might look a lot like yours in terms of demographics or, you know, what they're going through, but the way they see the world might be completely different than you. And that is so valuable as well. There, there's so much we can get from, from reading fiction, regardless of kind of what the, what the story looks like. That's right. And well, and from a personal growth point of view, which is obviously something I talk about a lot is personal growth, even reading someone that does mirror your experience or even mirror your almost exact perspective, seeing it in print or someone who is able to articulate it very well on the page that makes you say, that is how I feel, or that is how it was for me or something like that. That is also really illuminating, even if it's, Mm. um, very similar to your own, like you were saying. I love that. I just love reading so much. Me too. (laughs) Okay. So let's each share five, you know, sort of ideas or points about why fiction has mattered to us in our life, you know, in the past or, or currently to get people's wheels turning about how it has mattered in their life or how it could matter if they're, if they're not huge readers. Although a lot of my audience is already on the reading train, which is fantastic, but I love for us to be thinking about the whys instead of just mindlessly, you know, doing anything, frankly. So (laughs) let's each share a few things. Why don't you go first with one of the reasons that fiction has really mattered to you? So one of the things that reading fiction has really shown me and continues to show me is just that people have vastly different interpretations and perceptions of the same events. And I think I think probably Jane Austen first kind of led me into this. And and the idea that people interpret things differently, that's something many of us know. Like we we understand that, but fiction shows you that because you are in the mind of different characters. You're empathizing with the way each character perceives the situation and interprets the situation, and you understand why they arrive at different conclusions. The reason I say Jane Austen is kind of who I think of most with this is she just has such a great narrative style where she is, she writes from third person, but she kind of weaves in and out of different characters' minds here and there. And so you can kind of get this ping pong back and forth of how Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet are just interpreting this, you know, this ball completely differently. (laughs) And you just really empathize with both of them and you see how people arrive at, at those different conclusions. And that's, that's been just so important to me in my own relationships and disagreements and trying to understand where people are coming from when we have two vastly different opinions or ways that we want to approach a situation. Another book that really, I think, nails this is A Place for Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza, where we see all of the perspectives from this one nuclear family. And she goes back and forth in time. And so we almost kind of crisscross and come back to various scenes from other characters' perspectives. And it's just mind-blowing how, you know, father and son can be perceiving the same conversation completely differently. I, I feel like that has been just a really important lesson for how I approach relationships and other people. And it's one of my favorite things to see in the books that I read. 
I love books that do that. I know not everybody does, but I love books that do that. Did you read Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's such a good example. So she does this. You read the first half of the book from the husband's perspective and you really think, I mean, you're reading a story, a marriage story, and you really think that as a reader, you kind of have a grasp of what's happening. And then you read it from the wife's perspective and it is so radically different. And of course, as a woman, it was an interesting experience to not only have that story then sort of be turned on its head, but then also, you know, woman to woman, wife to wife, sort of be like, okay, all right. Like I kind of hated that book at first. And then I, <laughs> and then I went to a book club meeting. I read this for book club and I went to a book club meeting, like having feelings about it. And then when we talked it all through, I left the book club meeting having a different sort of respect for the book as a whole and liking it in a different way, having talked through this with other women, my book club happens to be all women. And, and I love that. That's actually one of the reasons I like book club, because had I read this book in a solitary way, like I read most books, I would have just had my opinion and like, that's it. And it just sort of stands for what it is. So when you can sometimes have an amazing discussion about a book, especially a book like that, and then really change the way you feel about it, like, isn't that so powerful? It's so powerful. I actually read that for my book club as well. It's a, it's a great book club book. And it like that book club moment kind of gets at this point too, that people even have vastly different interpretations of perceptions of the same scenes in the books. And then it's really fun to share those with other readers. I know. And it's funny because the fact that I could change my opinion on it you sort of think your opinion is your opinion, right? Like on a, on a work of art, for example, which is different from, you know, other things, but like you think, well, I just, I liked it or I didn't, like I have a valid opinion on this. And then to have a conversation, it's just so unusual to change your opinion on something like because of other people's opinion. Like I, I, I don't find myself like to be, I don't want to say that influencer, not necessarily, but just like, I don't know. I just, that's just what's so amazing about art to me is that talking it through, it, it's malleable. It's not just like, you don't have to dig your heels in and be like, this was amazing or this wasn't, even though I arrived at my book club meeting that way, but to have it changed to me, that's just, that's just a testament to art, I guess, in my Oh, mind. absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's, I really enjoy having the kind of conversation around like, was the book well done? versus how much did I, I like it and being able to kind of acknowledge those times when something about this made me hate it or just really turned off. But I can acknowledge that what the author themselves doing was extremely well done. Although in the case, in the case of Fates and Furies, I do think I liked it too. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and use code U, Y-O-U. Okay, so my first reason that fiction matters to me is that I learned this when I was really young because I've always been an avid reader. I started reading, I don't know, maybe kindergarten, first grade. And my parents, you know, really fed that desire in me. They always let me buy books or took me to the library or encouraged that. They gave me unlimited reading time. My parents also didn't, this isn't my point. I'm just saying it. My parents also didn't uh, censor what I read. Anyway, when I started reading really young, I learned pretty quickly from these books I was reading that we are all more alike than we are different. And I don't mean that in a Pollyanna way. And I don't even mean that in a cliche way, even though obviously that is, you know, sort of a a cheesy thing to say, we are all more alike than we are different. But for me at the time, this, the world was different. This was the eighties. I lived in a small community in Oklahoma and I didn't have a lot of diversity in my life, like at all. I didn't know very many people of color. I didn't know anyone of another religion. You know, I didn't have a breadth of experience. My family didn't travel. And so I just didn't know a lot outside of my little family and my little community. And so I would read these books and the the books that meant the most to me in my youngest years, this was probably first and second grade, the character that I identified with most was Judy Bloom's character, Sally J. Friedman in starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. Now, Sally in this book is a Jewish girl in New Jersey whose family then has to relocate to Florida. She is about my age at the time I was reading it. She's, I don't know, maybe nine or 10, maybe a little bit older than I was when I was reading it. And she, this is, it's set in the 1950s. So they are dealing with the aftermath of World War II and they are a Jewish family. And so there is a lot of stuff in that book about, about Hitler and losing family in concentration camps. And there's like a generational pain at the time would have been a current events pain that I'm reading about in the eighties that I can't relate to on paper, right? But Sally has this really rich imagination, this really huge inner world. And within this book that Judy Bloom is writing, Sally is making up stories to make sense of her life. She doesn't have a lot of information. She doesn't really understand why they've relocated to Florida. She doesn't totally understand the idea of concentration camps, but it's in the background of her life. And so the character Sally is making up these these stories in her mind of what's actually happening. And as the reader, you can tell, you can see what she's doing. But when I was young and I was reading it, I also was making up stories in my life to cope with all the information I didn't understand. And I reread that book over and over and over. I knew even then how different our family lives were, how different, you know, we were living in different time periods. We were living in different regions of America and we had different religions, like so many things were different between me and Sally. And I just remember feeling such a kinship with her 
I mean, to this day, I still like name things Sally in my life, but it was a huge lesson as a young person to understand this. We are more alike than we are different. I had not taken in these messages of the world of like how different people are. And I didn't have any negative connotations for anything that would separate me from Sally. So when I am reading this, I can see that the facts on the ground are that we are different. But to me, I felt like a soul sister with her. And I took that sort of lesson that I learned because I truly reread that book over and over and over again into, you know, not just my reading life, but in my regular life as I grew of the, we are all more alike than we are different. And I'm convinced that it started with some of those Judy Bloom books. And then when I went on to even read books that were popular and whatever, like Sweet Valley High, um, The Babysitter's Club, all of those books that were very popular for kids my age, those were not kids in Oklahoma. Those were mm -hmm. twins in California. Those were, <laughs> you know, girls in Connecticut who were also very different from one another, which is sort of an undercurrent of theme in The Babysitter's Club. So reading when I was, you know, reading those girls as a young girl, it was really formative to me. It made me feel like, okay, like they're girls and I'm a girl and we're all similar in some way. And, and that's like a major life lesson for a young person. And it's one of the reasons that I'm glad I read all of those books. That is such a, such a good point. And I, I think in, in 2020 with our pandemic reading lives being upended, I revisited a few of my favorite books from childhood. Jacob Have I Loved by Katherine Patterson was one. And then Sharon Creech books like Bloom Ability and Walk Two Moons. And I loved kind of reflecting on that experience because I, I'm not sure if I had as much of a consciousness about how my lives were different from some of these characters. I remember like relating very strongly to them. But when I went back as an adult to reread, I have to think that some of that got in there somehow. And that that understanding that we are more, more alike. Um, and I think middle grade writers do such a good job of weaving that into their books in a really natural way. Right. I mean, what are we taking in all the time, even as adults, but especially as young people, when you, you know, aren't as aware of like subtleties or what's happening into your subconscious, but like, it really is important. I do think that a lot of messages and a lot of ideas and themes came to me in my life. Absolutely. I know that it was from reading, like my desire to want to move away, my desire to want to have a certain kind of life that wasn't innate. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't like I was picking up these ideas mostly from reading. That's not all positive because I think that sometimes you can get ideas about what your life should look like from reading that are unrealistic also. So it's not a, all amazingness and flowers and rainbows, but we are constantly from the day we start reading or taking in any kind of art, we are, you know, these things that are seeping into our subconscious, it really does, it really does matter. It really it really does matter. Okay, what um, what do you want to share next about why fiction has mattered to you? Okay, so so this one is one that I'm not sure that many people will 
agree with or maybe enjoy as much as I do. <laughs> but I really, I feel like reading fiction has shown me that memory can be slippery and that as humans, we like to look back on our lives to give them kind of narrative drive and meaning. And I love a good unreliable narrator when it's done right. <laughs> and this is where I think this, this why fiction matters to me kind of comes from. I don't want to feel manipulated by an author. I hate when I feel like an author is purposefully withholding information from me when it doesn't make sense. But when an author can write a narrator who's unreliable because they misperceive or maybe misremember what happened in their lives, that feels so real to me and, and something that I really connect with just in terms of how at different times in my life, kind of depending on the theme of the moment at my life, I might remember different events more vividly or, or just remember them kind of differently, or they have a different sense of meaning to me. And I, I, I think authors who play with that idea are some of the most inventive and profound. And I, one of my favorite books is The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes. Have you read this one? It's so good. I, it is so good. I, I think I read it maybe seven or eight years ago. And speaking of memory, I'm kind of waiting, hoping that I forget it a little bit more so I can read it again and have more of that first time experience because it's one of those books where you get to the end and you have to reread the whole thing. You just want to reread the whole thing because oh, that book, I read that book. So I have a really specific way that I remember books and how I think about books. And it's, I can remember like where I was when I read them, especially if I wasn't at home or something. And I read that book primarily because it's short. I read it in the park one day on a blanket and I had little children and I had left them at home with a babysitter and tried to take some time to myself. And I went to the park with that book and I laid there and I like sat up, like, I was like, this book is amazing. It is so good. And I'm so grateful to have someone to talk about it with, because this isn't always a book that it's not like my first recommendation to, to, to readers because it's, it's hard and it's, messy. Um, but really the, the plot is less important than the fact that it's about a, a man who, you know, when, when somebody from his past reenters his life, he kind of realizes that he's been telling his own story to himself, maybe incorrectly for his entire life. Yes. And I mean, wow. Like that's just, that's something we do as humans to protect ourselves and, to help us like soldier on day to day. And what a profound kind of revelation that Julian Barnes just depicts so perfectly and so beautifully. So beautifully. Yeah, that book will really rock your weekend. <laughs> yeah, really well. It's so good. I love that one. Okay, so my next reason that fiction matters to me is that reading fear on the page makes you less afraid in real life. 
listen, my listeners are like so tired of me beating this drum. I don't care. I'm going to talk about this for forever because there's actually science behind this. I've now read this as like proof, but I knew this ages ago because I started reading really scary things when I was a young person who had a lot of anxiety And it's easy to talk about Stephen King because when you say that, his name evokes like everybody has a really specific way that they think Stephen King is horror. They think all these things about Stephen King. And so I use him as an example, not only because he's my favorite writer, but because people know what I mean immediately when I reference him. But as a young person, I read a lot of really scary things. I read V.C. Andrews who was advanced scary in some ways, but then I also read like teenager scary. So R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike, a lot of those books that had murder and just a lot of scary things I read when I was too young. And I know that that was not only a matter of taste, although it it did start to define my taste, but because I was so fearful all the time, I had a lot of, of anxiety when I was a young person, especially when I was very fearful for much of my childhood. And a lot of that had to do with, I had no control over anything ever. And when you're a kid, you just don't have any control over anything ever. Your your parents, your school, your community, your family schedule dictates everything. And I felt all the time, like I didn't have enough information. That was very, very scary to me. And so when I would read these books were very scary, obviously terrible things were happening in these books. I mean, torture, murder, trauma, I mean, really gross and weird stuff that I was attracted to, it was calming to me. And I would say this when I was young and when my parents would get on me for reading scary things because they thought that that's what would, you know, that's why I then was scared when I had to stay home alone was because I was reading scary things. But I don't believe that's true. I think I was scared anyway. Reading the scary things brought me some some calmness. And the only thing that I have to liken it to now when I talk about this as an adult is as the rise of true crime has become in the last decade, 15 years, maybe when true crime has become less pulpy and, and um, more mainstream, and in some ways, even intellectualized true crime, a lot of women gravitate towards true crime. And a lot of people say that they watch these scary murder shows at night before bed or when they're home alone or whatever. And you think that this is going to make you more scared, but people understand when I say that for some reason it doesn't, it makes you feel like there's worse things out there than whatever it is you're afraid of. It makes you feel armored for when, if something scary is going to happen to you, that you have read all of the different ways you could handle this. And it truly makes you feel informed in a strange way. Like, but it's very real about calming your own fears by reading something even scarier than what you're afraid of. And I know that I was doing this when I was young and it was a mostly fiction then. I didn't get into true crime until I was a late teenager. And so when I was younger and I was reading all this scary fiction, it taught me how to calm myself. Like it was a coping mechanism. That's why putting it in this list of why fiction has mattered to me is that I used it as escape, as armor, as a thing that made my young, very anxious self who who didn't find a lot of comfort in much and found comfort in these horrible stories. And, And it made a difference in my mental health. It's very 
backwards to talk about this because I think if you're a parent, you're like, that's not how I want my child to calm themselves. Or <laughs> you might be listening to this and thinking all kinds of things about this, how this feels contradictory. But if you get it, you get it. And in my personal life, I'm telling you even now that when I am fearful, when I'm nervous about something, when I am anxious, that taking in something very scary does the opposite of what you think it will do. And it actually calms me. This isn't true for everyone. And of course, people seek this exact same phenomena out in other ways. People like to go to haunted houses. People, you know, like to jump out of airplanes and skydive or whatever. I mean, people seek some way to feel some kind of emotion besides the emotion that they are feeling. And they do that in fiction. Mine happens to be this fear-based thing, but you can be doing it in, in lots of other ways um, emotionally that I, I don't know that we immediately grasped that we're doing that, but definitely we are often doing that. I really love that you shared that because I'm not somebody who seeks out scary stories and, and not, I don't think I'm averse to them. It, it's just never been something I've gravitated towards, but having a reason to try it and seek it out, I think will, will help me. And you're, and you're so right that, I mean, catharsis and that feeling of like vicariously experiencing something and then the relief that comes afterwards, that's been part of human storytelling forever. And I, I love the connection to, to horror stories. Okay. What would you want to share next? So this one might seem counterintuitive, but one of the things that I've learned from reading fiction is that it can be hard to fully know another person, but, but at the same time, it's essential to try. So I think it's counterintuitive because people who read a lot of fiction or just read a lot in general, I think we often do that because we want to understand and we want to empathize and we want to see from another person's perspective. And we're just, we're curious about other human beings. We want to know what their lives are like. And I do really think reading helps us do that. But I've also learned from fiction that it's a lot harder to understand other people than we want it to be. And, and maybe in particular, the people we're closest with that we can just kind of start taking things for granted or assume that we're reading situations correctly and understanding where another person is coming from. And there's a lot more going on under the surface than, than we realize, which I mean, reminds me a lot of your book, Laura, share your stuff where just that importance of, of sharing what's underneath and the things that have made us who we are. And then asking others is so important to, to connection. Mm -hmm. One book, one recent book that I think really demonstrates this beautifully is The Death of Vivek O.G. by Akweke Amezi. Have you read this one yet? No, but more than one person has suggested this to me, knowing my reading taste, has suggested this to me and thought I would love it. So it's so funny that it's coming up on your list, like it must be a nudge. It's it's so good. It's a, it's a tough one. And it's it's tragic, but there's also hope and beauty in it. And so I, I think that people can read the premise and think it's just going to be like trauma porn. And it is not it. There is real love and hope and redemption in the story, but, but it's largely about, it, it begins with the death of the main character, Vivek Oji. And we 
get to see both before and after their their death. And the book really follows Vivek's parents as they they kind of learn that maybe they didn't know their child as well as they they thought they did. And even though it feels too late, they're still striving to know them now and to make make sense of of who who their child was and what mattered to them. And it's just this beautiful look at, you know, the way we hide certain parts of ourselves from other people, or or maybe we kind of have different parts of ourselves that we show to one group of, of loved ones and another self we reveal to another set of people. And I, I think that reading has kind of shown me that, that that's normal. It's natural. It's, it's typical to kind of feel like maybe a split self at times and not quite sure which one is quote unquote, the real you and that everybody has a little bit of that experience, but by kind of really intentionally seeking, we can try to understand more fully another, another person. Oh, that's so beautiful. I definitely think I need to read that book when I get back to reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's short, but it is, you know, one of those that you kind of want to go through slowly because Amezi's writing is, is really in, it's really beautiful, but, but slow moving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next thing I want to talk about is how much I need to stretch my brain as an adult. This is also one of the points that might be, I don't want to say controversial, but that, you know, we might get some pushback on because I never want to, you know, poo-poo the idea of reading just for pleasure and just reading for complete fun and escapism and entertainment. And all of those things are great reasons to pick up a book. I, I know that not everyone is going to have the same reason for reading or the same, you know, way that they want to spend an hour reading. And I love to escape as much as anyone else. But for me, in my adulthood, one of the ways that I am able to think critically is by reading. There are so many ways to not think critically post student life. Like once you're not asked to analyze something in a paper or, you know, I mean, like that's <laughs> going to be graded. Once you get out of that habit and you, you know, fall into the rhythm of a career or family life or, you know, I feel like sometimes we don't use our brains in new ways anymore. You know, maybe we're great at our career and it's something that comes very natural to us, but maybe we get out of the habit of stretching ourselves or thinking differently or trying to analyze something, you know, with a 24 hour news cycle and social media always available to scroll. It's just easy to get into where a rut where we are not thinking completely for ourselves. That's not a criticism of anyone. I think we are all being fed so much information all the time. And it's either an echo chamber or even if you seek out, you know, voices that are different than your own, it's just so noisy out there. And it's noisy uh, with input. 
instead of our own like thoughts and critical analysis. And I can very easily, especially there's been seasons in my life, like when I was working a ton and I I did not want to spend my weekend or my leisure time, quote unquote, stretching my brain (laughs) or you know, when I had little babies, like, I, you know what? Well, I'm not going to read hard stuff right now. Like I am at my max capacity for what's happening. Of course, that's like supernatural. But I also think that because of everything I just said, the, the internet and a news cycle that will not quit and that is angry and that is shouting us and whatever, like that we're, that we're just not using our own skills to sort of read harder. And it doesn't have to be nonfiction. We don't, I'm not saying we should all be reading like lengthy political commentary necessarily because we're talking about fiction today. I want to read harder things, not always, but like maybe 20%. I wish that I was reading harder things. And when I do a few times a year, when I pick up that either classic novel or something that's just, um, that's just harder. Here's the example I want to use. Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels. A lot of people, they're written in a, in a classic way. I mean, she's Italian, so it's translated. So I can't like speak for her or anything, but I mean, it's a harder book to read. It is not fluffy. It's not spoon fed to you. It is a complicated book in many ways, like to me, how I experience classic literature to be. And a lot of people hated it. Not because they they couldn't hack it. It's just not, not how they wanted to spend their reading time. And I totally, totally understand that. But for me, I remember when I picked that book up, the first, the first one, My Brilliant Friend is the first of that series. I was sort of coming out of the baby years with my family and I hadn't read things that really challenged me from a fiction point of view in a while. And I, it was like my brain lit up. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is like what I read when I was in college or whatever, when I was forced to read it. And it felt great to read something that was harder and that I didn't totally understand. So um, there's quite a bit of political commentary happening in the Neapolitan novels that I didn't understand. It was Italian politics, (laughs) but I was like, wait, I, it's not that I want to deep dive on that in particular. It was just stretching this muscle that hadn't been stretched in a while. And I was like, okay, I need to be reading sometimes harder stuff. And it, it really, like it, it lit me up. You know, I don't want to, again, I don't want to do it all the time. I like love a weekend read. I'm going to read a thriller. I'm going to, it's just fun to read sometimes. But for me, I can get caught up in, I just keep using news as the example because there's just been so much news the last five years. (laughs) And if that was the extent of my brain working, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to be in fiction, maybe even watch harder movies, like the equivalent of watching a foreign film is what it was like for me to read the Neapolitan novels or or something like that. And I was like, oh, this is very gratifying. This makes me remember what it felt like to be a student and to be discovering this for the first time and being made to write a paper about it. And like, I didn't exactly love being a student, but I loved the way that felt in my brain and in my body to engage like that with art and with 
bigger thinkers than I am. And we can get that in fiction. And I, I have a need. I want to stretch my brain as an adult. I don't want to go a whole year and have only read like fluffy stuff. I am so with you. My, you know, English teacher heart just flutters to hear you say that. I, when I was originally doing this project, like I think it was probably seven years ago now, I had the opportunity to interview Maureen Corrigan, who's the book critic for uh, Fresh Air. And she also teaches at Georgetown. And her answer for why she reads fiction was to something along the lines of like to bask in the presence of human brilliance and to, to sit with the fact that the human mind created these sentences and now you are reading them and working through them and that it just was kind of this like cohesive back and forth of, of thinking and creativity. And I, I think, I mean, not to drag on bookstagram too much more, but that competition and feeling like you need to keep up and keep reading and be reading X number of books each year has sometimes prevented me from picking up those books that I know are going to slow me down. But when I do it, I love it so much. Same. And before we press record today, you and I had a brief discussion of our love for Russian literature, which I have not read Russian literature now in uh, several years, but it is the same thing of this. And it doesn't always have to be foreign literature, of course, but it was the same thing where Russian lit makes you work for it. (laughs) Yes. It's a lot harder to read those books for lots of different reasons. But when we were talking about it, just for a second, before we started recording, I was like, oh, It like reminds you of like, oh, I love it though. Like it is amazing. It is the athlete's equivalent of doing a triathlon or something where you were like, okay, this is why we're alive. This is what we're doing. It's so much more gratifying than a simple Zumba class. I can't believe (laughs) I just made that really weird metaphor, but it's apt. It's an apt metaphor I'm going with. So yeah, that was my, I I need to stretch my brain as an adult. What's your next one? So one thing that I love about fiction, and this hasn't always been the case, you know, I I think actually to go back to the idea of of Russian literature, a lot of the great Russian novels really revolve around aristocratic life and the people who live lives maybe drastically different from the readers who were reading the books. But in more contemporary fiction in particular, I love the focus on smaller and quieter lives. And and one thing that I've learned from reading fiction is that even seemingly small lives have stories to share and that we are all the heroes and deserve to be the heroes of our own stories. And that that's why I love character-driven literary fiction, because I like to be reminded that even if your life doesn't revolve around an epic adventure, you can still be the heroine of it. And I like reading about these very real characters who are striving to have control and agency of their own lives and and make the most of them. And I I think that just shows me that everyone has a story and and not, not only in the sense that everyone has hard things going on that we don't see, which I think is another very important lesson, but that 
everyone has a story and that everyone deserves to be the protagonist of their own lives Mm -hmm. and to see themselves as such. And one book that really jumps to mind when I think of this is Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. Have you read? (laughs) Well, that book is so incredible. First of all, can we just pause for a minute on Jesmyn Ward? I think that she is currently one of the best writers writing. She blows my mind. She blows my mind. Hands down. Everything she's written is genius. I've gotten to teach her books and I think that her books will be classics. They Mm -hmm. are they're hard in the way we were talking about where you have to, to work for it. And, but the reward is so incredible. Salvage the Bones in particular is a very difficult novel. I always yes. say that to people because I think a lot of people um, who listen to this show don't exactly share my taste in fiction very often. And it is uh, dark and difficult and it is, it is a hard novel, but it is absolutely one of the best things I've read in the last few years, for sure. I agree. And and I actually read this for a grad school class and really appreciated the opportunity to get to discuss it in that setting. I it's hard. It I love how Esh, she's our main character. She's a pregnant teenager. She lives uh, outside New Orleans, and this is the lead up to Katrina. So it's just, I mean, even the setup, we know this is going to be difficult. I love how Ward writes Esh in the way that she does have the sense that she is the heroine of her own life. And one of the really brilliant things that Ward does in this novel is she writes about how Esh is studying Greek mythology in school, which, you know, we can all remember (laughs) to those Greek mythology units. And she's wondering, you know, which mythological heroine is she? And who is she most like? And who does she most want to be? And I, I love, I love that construct in this book because it really, really highlights that point that, like, you know, even the, these quote unquote small lives, like we all want to be the the hero mm-hmm. or the heroine. And That's it right. just, oh, this book, I love it so much. Another that I. I think you read and loved Laura was Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell and so good. So good. And this is a story about Shakespeare's wife and children, but Shakespeare's name is never mentioned in the book. And I, I love that kind of convention of this woman who's married to a man whose name will be known forever throughout the whole world, but this is her story. And in her story, she is the protagonist, no matter who, you know, her husband turns out to be in. I, yeah, that's just one of the things I I love. I love kind of those smaller, quiet stories for those reasons. Well, speaking of Jesmyn Ward, my next point that I want to make is, you know, also kind of obvious, but I just, we can't have a conversation without saying it, is that fiction opens my mind to social issues in ways that political debate or social media just does not. So, and I mentioned Jasmine Ward here because her book, Sing Unburied Sing, was really mesmerizing to me. I read it around the same time that I also read Tayari Jones's An American Marriage. And you know, several years ago, which I've talked about on this show many times, I started to read Voices of Color on purpose. 
I always had incidentally, it's not that I had excluded them in any kind of purposeful way, but then I became purposeful about, about seeking out these stories and not just uh, from the race point of view, although that has the thing that's really mattered to me in the last few years, but all kinds of other social issues. So we're talking about uh, marriage equality, abortion. I mean, there's a lot of really difficult issues that you can take in in a fiction form and have your mind uh, have an empathy that you wouldn't for these issues on paper, possibly, or just open to what this experience is like when it's not being put into a meme or when it's not being put into a political disagreement or something when it's when we're talking about people and stories and lives and humanity and all of those bigger things. I feel like when we read about this in fiction, even even wider things like war or just really big issues, even to smaller personal issues, we can take in these things as stories and as fiction that we maybe for some reason wouldn't entertain in other types of conversations or in our own homes. We, We wouldn't, we talk about maybe it in some way that over the years, me reading fiction has absolutely opened my heart, broadened my horizons, changed my political landscape for sure. From It started with fiction. Of course, then it moves to real people and, and a different sort of understanding. But I don't think that, uh, especially when my beliefs used to be different decades ago, reading fiction was the first start of broadening that horizon from what's being, you know, preached at me or dictated to me from a religion or a political party or a a community. When I read about it in the book, it's like a quote unquote safe way to explore the other side, if you will. And if you do that consistently, like you said at the beginning, then obviously you're you're going to continue to learn as you take in more stories that are outside of your own perspective, you are going to continue to learn more about what it's like to uh, think a different way, feel a different way, believe a different way. And that to me broadens the heart, moves our cultural needle in a more effective way than screaming at each other on social media. And I can't say enough about that. I mean, I just listed a few books that have done that in the last few years, but over time in my life, all of these books that we're talking about, even starting with Sally J. Friedman is, is what does that in a, in a big picture in your world and, and why, why we read in the first place. We don't read to, because we want to take in social issues. I mean, you know, that's not like the top of my mind when I read, but that is a side effect is this empathy piece Often what we're saying when I'm saying, when I'm saying, I'm not going to speak for everyone else, but I'm saying that it breeds empathy or opens my mind. You know, what I'm really saying is that it's hard to get out of our own heads and out of our own experiences by just thinking alone, you know, mm-hmm. and reading is the tool that gives us this gift of not just entertainment, but also connection with the world at large, but I think that it is a thing that is happening subtly to us and that changes us over time. And that's just so important. I think you said that so well, and I completely agree. I last year had the opportunity. I was on the reading committee for the Aspen Words Literary Literary Prize. And it's this prize, their whole mission is to award 
works of fiction that illuminate a vital contemporary issue. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's such an interesting prize and an interesting mission because I, I don't think necessarily that authors are going into their work like with that as their number one goal and readers aren't picking up books with that being their number one goal. But you're so right that that is a side effect and that fiction can explore those issues with often a lot more nuance and complexity and humanity than, you know, just reading an, an article on the internet can. And not mm -hmm. to say that they aren't both important and, you know, we shouldn't just be taking in fiction for our political views or for our understanding of social issues, but it, it, it really is in many ways, much more transformative of an experience. Right. It feels like, that's what I meant by, it feels like a safe way to explore some of these issues sometimes, because otherwise I think we don't even let ourselves go there sometimes. If we are really dug in on um, something we believe to be true or something we believe to be important of all sides, I'm really talking about this broadly, that reading a book about it, you're on a journey with those characters. A book is going to take you days, weeks to read. You know, it's not just a scroll through on a screen. It's, and it's not just one conversation either. Although I do think the screen can change your life. And I do think a single conversation can change your life. But when you are in it in a, in a book form, when you're in it for like weeks with a, with a story, with a, with a character, it, can be transformative in a way that I think is just so beneficial. It's one of the reasons that I talk about reading at all, actually. Reading could very easily just be a, a side hobby that we have and that I enjoy, just like, I don't know, knitting would be, I don't knit, but you know, like anything like that. The reason that we I want to talk about reading so publicly all the time is because I think that it is the thing that truly moves the needle on a deep level culturally and like why the world evolves is from stories. Mm. Journey, I think, is the perfect way to describe that. Okay, what's your last reason fiction matters to you? Well, my last one, and, and I think that a lot of readers will connect to this, is I think we read, and I know I read, to know that I'm not alone. And, I, you know, this has been said many times by many people F. Scott Fitzgerald's way of putting this is one of my favorites. He says, part of the beauty of literature is that you discover that your longings are universal longings, that you're not lonely and isolated from anyone you belong. And I always take slight issue with the word universal because I'm not sure anything is quite universal, but still that, that common humanity, that experience of, of knowing that even our ickiest feelings <laughs> are something that maybe another person has experienced too. Mm -hmm. And and it can be hard for us as readers to pick up books that hit our personal pain points. But I do think that having books in the world that remind me I'm not the first person to feel some of what I might be experiencing, it's extremely validating. A and as a teacher, I'm going to just add a quick aside that this is why it's hugely important to, in the classroom, make sure that all of our students are getting books that reflect their own experiences back to them and are validating 
who they are and, and their particular place in the world. But I, as part of this, I actually really love reading books that have quote unquote unlikable characters. I've related to so many unlikable characters <laughs> and that's validating to me to know that I'm not the only person who feels jealous or insecure. And it's also, I think, helpful to vicariously experience what could happen if we let those less positive feelings consume us. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like, you know, like a flight simulator where you get to like test out, like if I really gave into that, you know, what might that road look like? So yeah, I, I, a book that comes to mind for me, even though the, the characters experiences are very different is the interestings by Meg Wolitzer. Mm -hmm. Have you read that one? I have. Yeah. I, I think that she writes about kind of the perils of friendship and relationships in really interesting ways. I actually have a friend who can never remember the title of this book and he always calls it the unlikables <laughs> because all of the characters are very unlikable. But I I love reading about people who, you know, are, are struggling to sometimes find positivity. And that is very relatable. I don't mean to kind of end my points on a low note, Laura. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> you're not. You're not. But I, I just, I, I like that feeling of not being alone, not being alone in the hard things, not being alone. And some of the things that maybe I like less about myself, but, but also just not being alone on this human journey and trying to figure it out and kind of stumbling through and making the most of what we, what we have. You know who I think does this well from a, um, I don't want to say a more shallow point of view because that sounds negative. I actually don't mean this negatively, but I don't know if you've read Leanne Moriarty's books like Big Little Lies or What Alice Forgot or yes. I think that she writes some of the, to me anyway, I'll just speak for myself, but like some of the like ickiest part of women, like the things that we think, like the, her characters think terrible, judgy, snobby things. And when I read them, I'm like, well, I've thought that too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is a great example. And she is fun because she lets you kind of laugh at yourself and at the characters, which is like also very cathartic. <laughs> right. I, and that's why I said, I didn't mean to say like, um, shallow in a, in a negative way. I love her books. I read all of her books. And I think that she does this very well. And she's very witty and clever about how she does it. But I've heard some of the critique when people read her books that they're kind of what you're saying, like they're unlikable. They don't relate to any of the women or they, you know, they don't like the snark or they, they don't like that particular interior life that they don't relate to it, which is of course possibly true. But for me, when I read it, I'm like, oh no, yeah, that's like the grossest part of myself. Yeah, I know. I, I sometimes take it personally when people are like, oh, I can't relate to those characters. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> Same. I'm like, really? Because that character you hate is exactly how I think about things. Yes. Well, okay. My last point here is Fiction matters to me because it lets me feel emotions otherwise inaccessible to me. And now, so that hits some of the points we've already made about um, reading voices outside of our own experience and possibly 
some of the fear-based stuff when I read scary things. But another example that I wanted to use on this point is I don't think of these genres as uh, things that I love and then I always end up loving them. And that's like fantasy and sci-fi. To me, who my brain doesn't work that way. That's not what my imagination is or you know whatever. But then when I read them, I'm like, oh, I never would have come up with something like this on my own. You know, some people read things, some people read science fiction, for example, or fantasy, because that's what their imagination likes. Like those are the stories they make up for themselves. That's not how my imagination worked, even when I was younger. So when I read fantasy and sci-fi, it is so outside of my wheelhouse for like what I think about or dream about, or like what I even think is fun or anything that it taps into something that otherwise would really be foreign to me. Like I just have absolutely no concept of thinking about certain fantasy stories or whatever. And I love it. I oftentimes really end up loving it, even though I would say, oh yeah, I don't really like the fantasy genre. And then I will read something fantasy for book club or because it's a bestseller, for some reason it piques my interest. And I think, oh, I could have never, that would have been completely inaccessible to me had I not read that story. I would have never thought about that. It is so creative or so bizarre. Um, an example here is, and this isn't fantasy, but this is sci-fi, is um, Blake Crouch, Dark Matter, or Recursion. And those books are similar in some ways. I just loved those books. I would have never thought about any, I don't, you know, think about string theory. I don't think, <laughs> it's just like not my world. But I loved reading those books. And then another example, which I actually talked about ad nauseum, so I won't give too many words to this, but is uh, The Passage by Justin Cronin. I don't know if you've read that book, which is incredible. Again, that was chosen for book club. I never would have chosen that book. It's like about not vampires, but like government created monsters. I mean, it's just like not my thing, except it was my thing and I loved it. So I like to read fiction for the outlier aspect sometimes. So we've talked about all these high-minded ideas about feeling empathy for our fellow humans, but sometimes you just want to like read about aliens and be like, wow, what a story. You know? I haven't read the passage, although I ordered it after hearing you talk about it on another podcast. Have you read Ted Chang's short stories? No, he, I don't name isn't even familiar to me. His collections, Exhalation is the most recent. And then, um, the story of your life and others is another collection. His one of his short stories was actually the basis for the movie Arrival, which I loved the movie and the story is like even more mind blowing. But I think you might really like his stories. We were talking about short stories before we started recording and they are short stories that are all I think they're pretty much all sci-fi or fantasy and they do exactly that. They just make you see the world in a totally different way and access some creativity. I, I'm with you. Like I don't have that level of creativity and I love to be able to access it through others. They're so good. It's so fun. Again, that's not, that's not a big, huge part of my reading life. It's not necessarily what I would choose for fun or to learn or for anything. But when I do pick it up, I really enjoy myself. And I find myself being like, I am loving this reading experience. Totally. Why don't I do this more often? And I, I don't, you know, it's like a taste thing or just a how we want to spend our time thing. But I love just 
pure imagination. And I, sometimes I think those books don't get enough credit because they're not always doing what we're talking about. Maybe they're not moving a cultural needle or maybe they're not, you know, breeding empathy in the way that, you know, the award winners do or, so, you know, some of these other things that we're talking about that is, I know is important to, to you and I both, but just reading like a crazy, completely creative story is, there's just like nothing like it. I completely agree. So that's my last one. I loved this conversation. This is actually one of the best conversations I've had in ages. And I'm so glad that we had it. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on here to just talk to me about reading. I've said on the show, I've said on social media that I've struggled to read a little bit in 2021. So to actually have this conversation about why we love reading instead of feeling this pressure of like, let me tell you everything I've read recently. <laughs> has, it's like, maybe this is just what I needed to kind of get my gears going, if you will. So thank you for being on the show. Oh, this was so fun. I can't thank you enough for having me. It It's just a delight to be able to talk about these ideas with you and get some book recommendations at the same time. I'm going to put this in the show notes. I always do, but just remind the listener where they can find you if they want to go right now to follow you, maybe join your Patreon, all the things. So you can follow me on Instagram at Fiction Matters. My Patreon, if you want to join just a really lovely book club with some of the most thoughtful readers I've had the chance to meet, that's at patreon.com slash fiction matters. And I also co-host a podcast called Novel Pairings, where we discuss classic literature and put classics in conversation with contemporary books. And you can download that wherever you listen to podcasts. Man, I love it so much. Okay, thanks again for being on. I absolutely love this. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.